you have your Bibles with you this morning? And now, the latest... Well, there you go. Now, that's quite the introduction. I love it. Can we play that one again? This time I'm ready. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, I want us to go back. Last week, I'll kind of say that I was tempted to say last week was the end of Philippians study, but in reading, I'll talk a little bit more about it. Philippians chapter 4, I want us to look at verses 20 through 23 today. So if you would, let's stand as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, verse 20 through 23, Paul closes out this letter with these wonderful words. And they spoke volumes to me this week, and I wanted to share them with you today. Now unto God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Jesus Christ. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Chiefly they are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Father, as we bow before you this morning, Lord, hearing the conclusion of Paul's letter, we would think that there's nothing worthy of talking about here, but there is so much that you have to say to us. Father, I pray that you would move me out of the way, hide me behind the cross. Let the words that you intended to speak to the Philippian church speak to our hearts today so that we too might hear these powerful words. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. You know, as we read through the book of Philippians and many uh, of the other uh, areas of the scripture, we're tempted to overlook the closing verses. And I was this last week. I had thought, well, I'd finished up until I begin to read it this week. And God began to speak. And then I was reminded that these verses affirm what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and for training in righteousness. Last week I thought I'd finished up the book of Philippians and I was getting ready to move on to something else and I thought, well, I'll just go back and, and, and read that last verses again. And as I began to think about Paul's closing remarks, I was drawn to Paul's use of one word. A word that Paul uses often, but yet is oftentimes misunderstood and overlooked. And that word is saint. Causing me to ask the question, what does it really mean to be a saint? Many Christians would struggle to give a formal definition of the term saint. But more importantly, many would struggle to answer the simple question, are you a saint? Many of us sitting in the room would simply say, no, there's nothing saintly about me. Um, I'm just simply a, a Christian. I'm simply just a child of God. I, I, I am uh, one of God's children. Jesus is my Savior and my Lord, but, but I don't classify myself as a saint. Simply because we think saints are highly virtuous Christians like the Apostle Paul or Jesus or others who are the historic figures that we read throughout Scripture. 
However, the word saint is a key word found in this concluding passage of the book of Philippians. It's a familiar word, but it's a familiar word that is oftentimes misunderstood. The word saint is taken as some kind of um, superhuman Christian. The word has drifted far from the New Testament meaning and uh, has been loaded down with all sorts of cultural and religious baggage. To many, to think that I'm a saint makes me think that I'm holier than thou. That's why many people wouldn't even consider themselves to be saints for fear of sounding egotistical or proud. I wanted you to know that we have the Roman Catholic Church to be thankful for all of the great confusion because out of that denomination comes the idea of, of sainthood. In the Roman Catholic Church, a saint is theorized as someone who has become um, a superhuman person. Because of his or her ex, uh, uh, exemplary virtue, merit, devotion, and religious achievements. And oh, by the way, in order to be a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, you have to have a, uh, been a part of a miracle. Anybody a part of a miracle? We all are. We all are. We're a miracle that God saved us. Amen. But it also reminds us the Roman Catholic Church says that it had to be um, done here on earth and exalted in heaven, meaning that they had to live here and die before they could ever be a saint. Such a person is elevated to a sainthood by the official decree of the Pope, and, which is often called canonization and considered a model for whose life are to be emulated after and prayed to. But according to the Apostle Paul, according to the, the entirety of the New Testament, a saint isn't someone memorized or memorialized in a, a stained glass window or a statue. It's not even someone canonized by the church. A saint is anyone who has come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is anyone saved here today? Say amen. 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 All right, so pay attention. This means that you have been elevated to the position of sainthood. You didn't even have to perform a miracle. You didn't even have to die. But yet all you had to do was be born again. The New Testament reminds us that, that as we look at this, the Apostle Paul wanted us to know that he understood what it was to be a saint. In fact, saint is Paul's favorite term for Christians, having used it over 40 times in his writings of his letters. He addressed all the believers in Philippi as saints in the opening verses of this letter. He even addressed the members of the Corinth church the most troubled church in all of the New Testament with all the worldliness that they had about them and all the struggles of trying to live Christ-like, the Apostle Paul said this about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. Those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ their Lord. A saint isn't a superhero Christian. 
Someone who is a superhero of the faith. A saint is anyone who has repented of their sin and asked Jesus Christ to come into their heart to be their Lord and Savior. And the promise of eternal life has been applied to them. Paul reminds us in Romans 3.23, or 6.23, I mean, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus. The word saint, the Greek word, Hagios means set apart one, separated one, sanctified one. Or perhaps the best of all is the one that says that we are holy ones. A saint is someone who has been separated from sin and reconciled to God for the holy purpose uh, for one who has been imputed righteousness into their life. Now pay attention. It's not that you have achieved righteousness, that righteousness has been imputed into your life, placed upon you. A saint isn't someone who has done something to earn sainthood. It's someone in whom something has been done for them, freely given them the gift of being a saint. The Apostle Paul wrote again in 2 Corinthians 5, in verses 17 through 19, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now all these things are from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Through his, not yours, through his, just as Andy sang that song, The scars in heaven are not ours, they're His. Through His sacrificial death on the cross, through His scars, Jesus Christ sets us apart as believers. He makes us saints because not of what we have done, but because of what He has done. God makes us holy. God makes us saints because He applies His righteousness into our life. He places His Spirit in us that gives us the ability to be the saint that we need to be. So I want to look at three things from this uh, passage of Scripture that, that the Bible tells us how important it is to go from sinner to saint. For all of us who, who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ have went from sinner to saint. And then verse 20 The Apostle Paul reminds us the goal of all saints. Philippians 4.20 is is a doxology. And we know what a doxology is. The word doxology comes from two Greek words, doxa, which means glory, and logos, which means word. A doxology is a word that proclaims glory. It's an expression of, of praise and adoration that honors and ascribes glory to none other than to God. It is an outward expression of our verbal worship to the Lord. So in this verse, look again, if you would, at verse 20. He says, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This verse flows from Paul's exuberant joy over the glorious truth that has been inspired by God to expound on in this letter. 
When Paul acknowledged that God's faithfulness to meet every need of all of us as saints in verse 19, he then can't help but burst forth in praise and glory to God because God is able to do what man cannot do for themselves. So what is the goal of saints? It is simply to glorify God through word and through deed. The glory of God is is poured out from us in these ways. This is the glory of the saints. The glory of God from us. Saints are not to be worshipped. They're not to be placed upon a stained glass or a statue and to be prayed to. But saints are the ones who are to worship God for what He has done for us. The Bible speaks of the glory of God in two ways. There is God's uh, intrinsic glory, the glory of God that refers to the sum total of His divine nature. His intrinsic glory is all wrapped up in who He is. It is all that God naturally is. It includes all the characteristics that are inherently His and all the perfections that are inherently His. Glory, in the essence, is the, uh, um, essential to God, the Godhead as light is to the sun. Thomas Watson said, Glory is the sparkling of His deity. The sparkling of His deity. God reminds us that what flows from Him is His glory. His intrinsic glory flows from everything that He is and everything that He does. But then there is the second type of glory the Bible talks about. And that is the ascribed glory. You see, glory comes from God as He sits upon His throne and in all of the heavens sense the glory of God. But then the Bible says that there are angels and there are saints around the throne bowing down and giving God glory. You see, there is the ascribed glory, the part in which we get to play in saying, God, we recognize who you are and you are worthy of our praise. Transit glory refers to the character of God Ascribed glory refers to our response to His self-revelation. We cannot add to God's intrinsic glory, but we can give Him glory for the fact that He deserves our worship, our trust, and our obedience. This is the glory that the saints give to God. In the book of Revelation, we see this throughout uh, the book of Revelation, but in chapter 4 and verse 11... We're reminded that John writes here, Worthy are you, talking about God, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You see, the Bible tells us that because of who He is, He emanates His glory, and He can't be in a room without filling it with His glory. But then when we're in the same room with His glory, we can't help but bow down and worship Him for who He is. To be reminded 
that he is worthy of worship because he created it all. And by him all things were created. To be a saint is to live in light of the fact that only God is great. See, a saint realizes it's not me. It's not about me. It's not who I am. It's about who he is. It's about what he's done for me so that I might do for him. You see, the world has it backwards. The world has the idea of we'll do something to impress God and God will take notice of us and then he'll say, well done. No, 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 no. That's, that's just the opposite. It's not about us. It's about him. When we recognize who he is and what he's done for us, then we bow down and then he recognizes us as worshiping him. To be a saint is to live in light of the fact that God is God and we are not. A.W. Tozer rightly said, God is looking for men in whose hand his glory is safe. God is searching for people that will lay down their glory before his throne and give him the glory that he alone deserves. But there is not only the glory of God that is both intrinsic and ascribed, but there is the worship of God in which a saint does. Worship is the appropriate response to all that God has done for all of us as believers. It is our way in gratitude for our salvation, for our hope of eternal life and heaven above, and the refuge of eternal security. Now to him, the Bible says in Ephesians 3, 20, In 21, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Paul reminding us that our responsibility, our privilege, our honor as saints is to bow down and worship the one who is worthy of our worship. Charles Swindoll said, We are often so caught up in our own activities that we tend to worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. And I think that's so true, especially for Americans today. Think about it. A rowboat in the sand is hard to row. But when the tide comes in and the boat begins to float, it begins easy to row it out to sea. The transforming grace that flows through the church sweeps up in God's glory, makes it easy for you and I to worship Him. On Sunday mornings, I'm going to put a plug in again. On Sunday mornings at 9.30, right here at this very altar, there is a group of us that try to meet every Sunday morning to pray for you all and for everyone online and everyone that watches. Pray that God will move in and through the service, that His Spirit will fall upon this place during this time. 
and that the Spirit of God will cause you, each one sitting in the pews, rather you, 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 you are here intentionally because you chose to come and worship or, 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 or you're here because someone drug you by the, 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 the collar to come that the Spirit of God might get a hold of you and say, I'm here, I'm willing to worship because the presence of God is in this place. So the plug is, if you've got nothing better to do, and I can't think of anything better to do at 9.30 in the morning than to come pray that God's Spirit will fall upon this place, then you need to come join us as we pray that God will move. For I believe that apart from the power of prayer, nothing is going to move the wickedness of this world. And nothing's going to cause us to worship God the way that we are called to as His saints other than the presence of God falling upon this place and His Spirit moving in and through us. So it causes worship to become the natural response of every true believer. Worship of the one true God is personal, for sure. It's intimate, absolutely. But it must become habitual. It's impossible to worship Him unless you first know Him. You must know Him as Savior in order for you to worship Him. So if you don't know Him this morning, my prayer, our prayer, is that you will come to know the Savior that saves sinners just like me. But when you come to know Him, I can remind you and I can challenge you and I can tell you for sure it's impossible not to worship Him. For once we come to know Him and He comes inside us, the Spirit of God fills us and there is a desire to want to worship Him. The goal of the saint, glorify God, through His glory, and through our worship. We are here this morning for that purpose. The second thing the Apostle Paul reminds us is that there is fellowship of the saints. From sinner to saint means that we have become a part of a family. That we've become a part of God's family. And the Apostle Paul reminds us here in these verses of some important truths here. The threefold repetition of the word uh, greet implies a strong bond of fellowship. He says, I greet you. We greet you. He wants us to understand that he is... I want you to notice in that, that text that Paul does something. He deals both with the individual and the group. Individually, he deals with every saint, as well as the collective term that he uses for all the saints. This emphasizes that every saint was a part of his concern, affection, and care. 
both individually and collectively. You know what I mean. Sometimes I will call you by your name right here from the pulpit. I will address you. And then there are times when I will address the the congregation, the the whole of the body. You see, what Paul wanted to, 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 to show was that he didn't want just people to say, well, you're a, a, a number, or you're just a body. No, he wanted them to know they're an individual, they're a person. Even though he couldn't call all of their names, he wanted every saint to know that he thought of them. He was concerned about them, where they are. When I give an invitation at the end of the service, I can't call you all by name, so I have to address if there's anyone. And then everyone needs to move. Everyone needs to feel. You see, there's an individuality, but then there's a collectiveness that says that everyone is important, but everyone is included. I don't know if you know this, but the California redwood trees are some of the largest living organisms in the world. The redwoods are oftentimes over 300 feet tall. Some of them are 40 feet around, and some of them are over 250 years old, and you thought you were old. Because of the size and the strength of these massive redwoods, one would think that their root system goes deep, deep into the earth to hold them up in the midst of a storm. But you know what they found? They have some of the shallowest root systems among the trees. But what they have that helps hold them together is one another. They have found that the root system of the giant redwoods are intertwined with one another. So when the storms come and the winds blow and the fierceness of the the storm hits and one is hit, they lean on and hold on one to another. Just like the church, when we go through something, just like when our corporate time of prayer this morning, as our body is going through times of hurt and and struggle and, and sorrow together, we hold on to one another. We're to be there to support one another. Why is it important to be a part of a body of believers? So that you're not out there alone in the storms of life. But that your life is intertwined with others so they can hold you up in the midst of the storm. So if you're not a part of a body, if you're not a part of the church, if you haven't joined up and and contributing to the holding together, it's time for you to step up and to intertwine your root system together. In John chapter 13 and verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. How is the world ever going to know that that we, the church, the true disciples of Jesus Christ? By intertwining our roots together, holding one another up, 
praying for one another, loving one another in times of sickness and in hurt. You know, the Bible tells us, the Apostle Paul said that the body of believers are to, uh, to rejoice when one rejoices and to weep when one re- weeps. In other words, we ought to be feeling the same pain and the same joy and sharing it together. In fact, the Greek word for saint is used more than 229 times throughout the New Testament. Saints in Jesus Christ are to live in the fellowship of Jesus Christ and among one another. Yet the New Testament only uses the singular form of the term saint 21 times. Or I mean, right here in verse 21. Sorry, one time in verse 21. But when Paul says, greet every saint, he was not doing so with, I have Jesus and I don't need anybody. But what he was saying was, because we're together, because we're joined together, every person in the church matters. Not only to God, but to their fellow saint, their fellow believer. The sharing of a common bond of love and the mutual desire for each other, for our spiritual well-being is the essential character of fellowship among the saints. The third thing that he reminds us of here from sinner to saint, not only have we become a part of the body of Christ, but there are benefits that we receive as the saints of the Lord. Look at verse 23. Again, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi ends with a benediction. We talked about what a doxology was, and that's a, a word of, of glory to God. But now we come to the end of a benediction. Many churches end their services with, with some kind of benediction saying, and um, you know they, they end it the same way each week so that people hear that benediction, or there's a few that they use. The Apostle Paul oftentimes ended his letters with a benediction. And in this case, the benediction is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. In this final statement, Paul shares the benefits of being a saint by entrusting the saints with none other than the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That seems to be his pattern throughout his letters. The Apostle Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. For those of you that didn't know that, there's some Bible knowledge for you. All right? So he is the main writer of the New Testament. In his closing remarks of each of his letters, Paul gives a similar benediction that affirms the presence and the power of God's grace among the body of believers. The benefits of all believers 
is summed up into one area of our life, the area of grace, God's grace. The grace that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, we talked about it in our Sunday school class again this morning. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is the benevolent love of God in and through Christ. God's work of grace in every believer's life begins with the redemption or the salvation, but continues on to glorification through the work of sanctification, that working in and through our life. Grace is not the end. Grace is the beginning point. Grace does not stop at salvation. Grace both saves and sanctifies. Grace both pardons and produces holy living. Grace both covers our past, but covers our future as well. The same grace that will one day get you into heaven, the Apostle Paul reminds us is the same grace that will help you to get through today. But not just today, but tomorrow. And if God tarries, the next day. God's grace for today and every day is the same grace that we get for going to heaven. This is what Paul means when he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Always. Every day. Everywhere. As a believer, we are constantly dependent upon the forgiveness, comfort, peace, joy, boldness, and instruction that comes through God's manifold grace. God's sustaining grace comes to every believer through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the focus and the theme of the epistles of Paul. He is mentioned here in this epistle 40 times in four short chapters, reminding all of us as believers, as he was reminding the Philippian church, that worship, fellowship, and the benefits that we receive from the grace of God are for all of us, not just for the elite, not for some superhero of the faith. It's not for some memorialized individual on a, on a, a stained glass window or a statue, but it is for every one of us as the saints of the living God. We ourselves are saints if we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does Paul want us to leave with today? I think there's three things. Let me give them to you quickly. Three lessons that we need to remember that we need to take home with us. Every believer is a saint. If you didn't believe it before, I hope that you understand that this is exactly what God says. If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ with your heart, if you have repented of your sin, asked Jesus to come to be your Lord and Savior, He has moved into your life. The Spirit of God lives in there. You are a, say it with me, 
saint. You are a saint. Therefore, the victorious Christian life in which you are called to live is in union with Christ, a life that is surrendered to His Lordship. Paul summed up the Christian life when he wrote in Philippians 1.21, for, for unto me is to live and for Christ, or for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. The second lesson that Paul wants us to listen and take home is not only are we all saints, but as a saint, we must live as those separated from sin unto righteousness. In other words, our life can no longer remain the same that it was. What I told my Sunday school class this morning was, Lord, make me more like you and less like me. That's heading towards righteousness. And then finally, saints aren't only saved by grace. Saints are sustained by grace. We're governed by grace, guided by grace, kept by grace, strengthened by grace, sanctified by grace. And then praise God, I send you out emboldened by grace to tell the world of Jesus. So let us all be thankful that God has made us a saint by and through His grace. So when you look at that, and you read those words, those benedictions, and you read those, those words, and, and you look at that word saint, don't think of it as someone else, but think of it as, this is who I am in Christ. It's who he has called me to be. It's who he's made me to be. You are a saint. Go live out your sainthood before a lost and dying world. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and to uh, lift our voice before you this morning. Oh, Lord. We are thankful, Father, that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, may we all realize that, Father, that as we are called into this life of a saint, it's not about us. It's about you. It's not about what we've done, but it's about what you've done for us. So, Lord, may it be that it's help us each and every day to be less like me and more like thee. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand to your feet. If you are here this morning, and you do not...